Hey folks, welcome back to the DC Three Cast. My name is Brian. With me, as always, are Vince and Zach. We're going to talk about the comics released on December fifth, twenty eighteen, and boy howdy, is this a week of comics? Before we get started, guys, between like good comics and momentous comics, is this the biggest week that DC's had all year? Yes. This is probably the biggest week DC's had in like five years that is a bold claim but i i can't argue with you um yeah i mean there's just there's so much to talk about we should just jump right into it and um the boys said we could start with this because they know how long i've been waiting for this comic so we're going to start with shazam number one written by jeff johns illustrated by dale eaglesham this book picks up essentially directly after the Jeff Johns, uh, Gary Frank, Shazam book that was in the backups of Justice League back in 2012. Uh, and while, you know, there might have been some time passed between there, for all intents and purposes, kind of picking up exactly where that left off. It is very much focused not just on Billy Batson, but on his entire uh, adoptive family. They... Um, well, I, I don't need to recap the fucking plot for you guys. You probably all read it, I hope, by the time I listen to this podcast. Um, I think I know Zach's take on part of the book already because he won't stop talking about it. But, <laughs> Vince, what did you think of this issue overall? Oh, I loved it. And I thought it was uh, an immediate improvement on the, the backup uh, from the New 52, which which I didn't hate. But looking back on it, I, I wasn't in love with it um, the way that I should be a, a Shazam book. I think there are a lot of people on the internet that really hate it. The uh, the New 52 John's take on Captain Marvel, Shazam. Uh, and I think that this issue, well, you're right that it basically picks up where that left off, spiritually uh, speaking. I think it's interesting the way that, that John's kind of you know, he gives you the little bit of an explanation of the, the the description of the of that story and the origin, kind of the retooled origin. But he more or less breezes right past it to get to the good stuff. You know. Yeah. Um, so I, I liked it a lot. Zach, uh, excluding the backup for now, how'd you feel about the book? Oh, I thought it was really, really good. Um, I I think. Um. So I actually I like kind of like Vince. I didn't hate the the like new fifty two take. Um, it definitely. Um, I think the issue with it was honestly, as much as I like Gary Frank's art and like like I love his run on action with Jeff Johns. Like I feel like that is one of the best Superman runs. Like it's one of my favorites. But it just like it was so dark. Um, it's like it's the Frank that we see in like Batman Earth One and like Doomsday Clock now, and it just like didn't fit. It wasn't good. But I feel like where that story left off, um, with like this whole Shazam family status quo was like really great. And we've been waiting for five years, six years actually, for that to 
uh, be a thing. And then, I said 2012. It might have been 2013. No, I think you're right um, because the new 52 started in 2011, yeah. and that zero issue was the end. So that would have been 2012. So yeah. Um, but um, then you come onto this and you like pick up right where that left off. You've got this Dale Eaglesham art, which is just like just perfect, like spot on, like just the best fit. Um, and then it's just like it's so much more fun than anything Johns has written in a really, really long time, um, other than maybe like the the DCU Rebirth special. Um, like he just has so much fun with this. And it's great. Yeah, I, I I do want to have a discussion about sort of the the Shazam family status quo from the New Fifty Two, but I want to talk about the issue first. And I agree with you guys. I thought this was super fun. I thought that it had that um, museum set piece that works really well as a reintroduction to these characters and sort of what their powers are. Although I don't know if we ever really got an explanation of all the different powers, did we? Like the guy that the guy that is essentially Jack Hawksmore, but instead of talking to cities, he talks to machines. Mm-hmm. Um, like was that ever established before? I kind of want to say maybe in that like zero issue, which is I think the one where they all got their powers, or maybe it was like that was like the big payoff. I kind of want to say that they like went through and showed everybody doing their thing, maybe like once, but. That I could be totally misremembering that because I do remember I remember that he could do that. Um, I, I felt like that wasn't a new thing that I didn't previously know. Okay, uh, but, but regardless, like, I don't know. Yeah, that, that that set piece was a really cool way to sort of introduce the status quo again to show us how the the crew has really learned to work together, right? And they're they're using their powers for good and. It's a really, it was a really effective set piece. I think that showing the family as a real family is great. I was so worried when they rebooted Shazam that the Marvel family, as they used to be called, would be lost in all of this, and that it would be this sort of grim, dark, um, not at all fun, not at all family focused book. I'm very, very happy. That appears to be wrong. I also kind of dig the twist at the end, even though who knows what that actually means. Um, you know, we'll talk about that twist a little bit more at the end. But I felt like it was a really good cliffhanger for a first issue. And overall, it was just a really solid debut for this team. As you said, Zach... Dale Eaglesham's art is just so perfect for this because he can do the big bombast, but he can also make really small character moments. And he, he draws these characters with so much um, youthful exuberance in their faces and so much like impish joy at times. It's just, it's really a sight to behold. This is a super, super fun issue. Um, Oh, that page! That, the page where Shazam is saying, "I've been having a bit of trouble saying my name lately." Yeah, I, I love the way Eaglesham draws him there. Yeah, very playful. Absolutely, that, I, that was also like a great like nod. I, it was great both because you could take it as like, yeah, he can't say Shazam because he will transform. Also, he 
can't call himself Captain Marvel because of <laughs> right. Yeah, it worked really. It worked in both ways. It was great. And and just because we haven't seen him for a while. That too. Yeah, yeah. It worked on like a lot of different levels. Yeah, I think that this issue struck a really good balance between stuff for old time fans, stuff for new audiences, and this will work so well when this is inevitably. DC's free comic book day <laughs> issue this year, right when Shazam comes out. Yeah. The film. Um, and the backup is another good reason for that to be the, the free comic book day uh, issue, because imagine putting this in the hands of people for free who might be attracted to that. Well, I mean, we'll, we're about to talk about it, I'm sure, but I just wanted to say that when you, you brought up the free issue thing. Yeah putting a manga manga based thing or manga style right yeah um there's um a couple of things i want to talk about here i do really like their their disagreement over what the name of the what the name of the family should be called i think it's fun to have uh i think it's really fun to have billy start to say Captain Marvel and get cut off. Uh, there's so many little nice moments here. Um, anything to talk about in the main issue before we get to the backup? Um, I have sort of an overarching Shazam question at the end of it, but in terms of this issue. Just that I think that one of the concerns that I think we had initially had like way back when, when this um, like status quo was introduced and you had all these characters is that they wouldn't be able to, um, they wouldn't be fleshed out in a satisfying way that, you know, it's just too many characters essentially. But I feel like each character gets their moment and, and is really endearing even just like in this first issue. Well, I think if they use the backup in the way they use it here to spotlight a different member each week, mm-hmm. or each, each month rather, that will be a really effective tool to avoiding that feeling as well. Do we, really quick, do we know if that backup is going to be in each issue or is this, it's not, is it a, just a one-off? I think it's there all the time. I don't know. Because I kind of thought wasn't I think this is a five dollar issue, right? And I think, but, but so is the Green Lantern number one. Yeah, which I think they're. So Sin isn't listed as an artist on the next issue. Is he listed as an artist in the first solicit? Let me check. I thought so. No, and I think I think. No. I mean, yes, yeah, they are. Even if this is just a once-in-a-while backup? I it's great, it's, yeah. yeah. So let's talk about the backup. So, uh, oh. the, Sen, Zach, you're the big Sen fan. Well, I, would, I don't know if I'm, like, necessarily... I, like, I have... I think... I think... I think Sen is female. I'm not positive. Um... But I've been following them on Twitter for a long time. I don't even know how I like discovered their art. Um, but like I, I like found it because it was, you know, these like very nice um, like manga esque Shazam drawings. Like 
it's all like I don't know. It always been doing Shazam things, and so when I found out that they'd be uh, doing Shazam art in this, and then got picked up by DC for um, the young adult books too, um, that was just really awesome. And then you know to have like an actual manga style superhero book at DC illustrated by a Japanese artist is just like, it's just like very much that's Zach Nip, you know, like we had, we had talked about on the show a while back, how we think that Shazam would be the perfect book to do as a manga style book at DC. Yeah. Yeah. And it's perfect. Like this issue, I mean, this little backup is just like, Oh man, like I, I just thought it was the best thing. You you told us in a text that this was your favorite thing you read all year. Yeah, I did say that. That might have been a little hyperbolic, but it's <laughs> definitely like in the top five. Um because it's just so fun. Because like you said, it um you know, it zooms in on a few characters. It kind of highlights Mary, Freddie, and um what is what is the other Darla? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it highlights those three, um, and then also introduces um, Hoppy. Yep. Is that the bun- rabbit's name? Yeah. Oh yeah, it is. Um, in just like a great way, and and it also like plays into the the main story because it kind of shows how Mary and Darla get brought into the school trip because they're not actually like in that class and and don't show up until later um yeah the art is so good i want dc to do more things like this vince what do you think about the backup yeah it's it's incredible um i i wish they would do i wish they would have like a a a manga style or or a backup from an international creator uh, you know, once a week or something. <laughs> it's it's such a great yeah. idea. It's such a it's such a it's such a bridge to potentially bigger and better things. And I think I think DC and Marvel should both be playing with uh, um, different styles like this far more often than they do. You know, um, I I can't imagine. I can't imagine that this like cost them any more than a than a backup from one of their regular artists would, you know. So mm-hmm. like, why not go out on a limb and do this a little bit more? Yeah, it's not costing you anything. So yeah. Also, like another like side of this, yeah, I was just confirming. Yeah, Sin is female, and she, I mean, she's like a fan artist. Like that's how she started out, and like here's DC like rewarding fan art, you know, which is really cool. Absolutely. That never really happens in American comics. I feel like. No. Yeah. You're right, Zach. That's an incredibly rare thing. Um, so I, I, I love this backup so much for, for all, for all the reasons you guys talked about, but I want to talk about one reason you guys haven't really discussed and that's that this brings Hoppy into continuity. And one of the reasons that 
as a little kid, I was so drawn to the Shazam comics. And I, I've told the story in the past, but when I was a kid, my dad painted three superheroes on my walls. One wall of Superman, one of Batman, one of Captain Marvel. So I, I have loved this, this character for a very, very long time. But part of what I loved about it, both as a kid and as an adult, is that it's so unabashedly uh, corny at times. And like, I, I always felt that Captain Marvel was kind of like DC's Archie comic, um, where there was like a lot of goofy teen drama, but that's just sort of what made it special and interesting. And so there are characters like Takitani, who we kind of got a little bit of in the John's Frank backups for Justice League. Um, we have Uncle Dudley, who becomes Uncle Marvel at one point. We have Hoppy. Uh, there's just so many like goofy elements of this of the the former formerly titled Marvel family, and I was afraid that they were going to back away from that because it is really hard to make you know a Hoppy the Marvel Bunny part of this book, but but they do it and they do it with a plum, and it's it's really very cool, and I uh, I can't believe that we're getting a backup that looks like this that focuses on these characters in this. It's everything about it is really truly wonderful. Um, this is one of the best number ones that DC has done in a long time in a series, in a season they've, where they've done a whole lot of good number ones. This one is among the best. Easily. Yeah, and I mean, yeah. I know we're about to talk about another one, and we just yeah. talked about one um, a couple of weeks ago. But, yeah. And, and yeah. yeah. No, what I kind of want to end on is uh, just an overall discussion of this new Marvel family. Again, we don't know what they're going to be called just yet, but you know, people were pretty, as as I think Zach said, or Vince, what do you guys said that people hated this, uh, the Johns backup when it, when it debuted? Do you, th- and again, I, I've loved these characters for a long time. I, I really liked the family aspect of Shazam. So it didn't bother me to see a, a family coming back. And it certainly doesn't bother me to see a larger family come into play. Do you guys think that a big part of the dislike for this was the fact that the kids are not just white kids anymore? Oh, right. I no, I don't uh, think so. I, I'm being I'm, I'm asking a serious question. Do you think that that people are because you know you see how upset people get when a character is cast in a TV show as black and they were a white character or. Or something of the sort, you know. People get really upset over this stuff. Do you think that people were upset over that? I mean, only the usual suspects. Oh, only the really bad people. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> um, but like, no, because I feel like I mean, you can't even make the argument that like, you know, there's like race changing or anything because like Mary and Freddie are still white people. They just added new characters, which is great for you know like representation and and everything and. Yeah, I I felt like at least uh, the people who didn't like the John Shazam, I I felt like it had more to do with 
a like a probably the format just the way it was told um was kind of weird and then b the costume the specifically the shazam costume yeah like the redesign it, to me it's not even in the top 15 worst redesigns of the new 52 I think it was pretty bad when Frank was drawing it. How so? What about it was so bad? It was just so, like, much. I mean, especially compared to the pre-Flashpoint costume. I mean, again, I do not I do not particularly love the redesign. I, I would rather him be in the old-fashioned costume because it was simple and, and beautiful, whatever. But... I don't know if it was that much more than all the other New 52 costumes. Maybe not, but, like, it is a lot. It has oh, sure. a lot of, like, studs. <laughs> and <laughs> um, Yeah, I don't know. I actually, like, maybe... I don't remember it being, like, that poorly received overall. Maybe that's just me... Um, maybe I'm misremembering. There were so many other bad things in the new 52. Because I actually think that I enjoyed the Flash. I'm sorry, gosh, the Shazam back up like more than the main Justice League comic. Oh, I think I did too, possibly. Yeah, I'm actually like looking back at some of this and I am remembering it very fondly. Now I want to reread it. Vince, what did you think of it when it was coming out? Um, I rem- I remember just really being glad that Shazam was around again. Um, but I think I'm just gonna stick with at the start of this. I said, you know, looking back on it, I I didn't I didn't love it. I di- I didn't hate it. You know, it just kind of. Well, I'm glad it's back in this form now. Um. Yeah, I don't I don't yeah. know. It was okay. And now I believe we don't get another issue until February. <laughs> I'm not joking. One of them was delayed. I know. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah one let's la- see. I just had it pulled up. Let me check. Yeah. Uh, one last thing I want to say. The only bad thing about the backup, literally the only bad thing, is that it presents the Salvation Army as not a garbage organization. <laughs> Well done. Yeah. Yeah, what an issue. Unless DC just hasn't updated their website, which is definitely possible. Um, it says 123. But that but, that might be old information. Okay. Actually, I want to say Shazam was supposed to be in November. I think you're right. And, and, this, and this slipped... Mm-hmm. And everything else slipped beyond it. I think that's right. Yeah, because it says two is one twenty three, three is two twenty. Yeah. And man, the covers for the next two issues are great. Yeah, they are. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, I have high hopes for this book. Uh, I just hope this this doesn't get lost in the John's shuffle. Uh, Niles Calder himself, though, on the the DC page for number three says, 
I loathe the new costume for Shazam, the blonde <laughs> Freddie Freeman and the whole extended family of Shazam. So I'm happy to wait until never, which is when I will buy a book with these elements in it. So <laughs> uh, well, let's talk about Martian Manhunter, number one, written by Steve Orlando. Illustrated by Riley Rosmo, um, enjoyed very much by Brian Salvatore. <laughs> but I'll let you guys. I talked a lot that last time. Um, Vince, talk about this. Spaceman the iguana. <laughs> uh, no, this this was this was great as expected. Uh, Steve Orlando continues to hone his craft as a DC writer that you know, picks and chooses things out of DC history and puts a fresh spin on them and, and is clearly very knowledgeable about, you know, he, do, he doesn't half-ass anything. Um, I, I'm convinced after reading this that he did a, a comprehensive dive into, well, I mean, John Jones is one of his favorite DC characters of all time, if not his favorite, right? He claims he's his favorite character. Yeah, yeah. that clearly clearly shows through um just crafting this uh weird murder maybe murder we don't really know yet uh, mystery uh that that kind of feels like the sort of mystery that only martian manhunter could solve and um melding the the detective john jones side with the with the alien uh just expertly and for crying out loud, guys, there's a line in this issue where he says, Moons of Mars, Fright Foam. <laughs> one, more yeah. do you, one more do you need me to say, you know? Like, uh, and, and Riley Rasmus' art is, is something else, too. Oh, oh, and, and, as Detective John Jones, he's riding around with a woman named Diane. Yeah. Serious yeah. Twin Peaks vibes coming Uh-huh. Through. <laughs> yeah and even the the opening mon uh, you know monologue where he's like i have a confession to make diane like instantly like from the beginning like you can't not think that i expected him to be hanging upside down in a closet talking to a tape recorder how how damn good what are the odds the next issue damn good damn good yeah yeah we have to have that Uh, for those who are listening to this episode, we right now have an interview with Steve Orlando and Riley Rosmo up on the site about this issue, so check that out. The, the two sides of an Oreo, black as the night on a moonless night, or whatever. Black as the sky on a moonless <laughs> night. Uh, if we had more characters in this book, we would be casting who was who in Twin yeah, Peaks, right. but we don't have enough characters in the book yet, so. Right. <laughs> um, I also thought the oh also we got to see the Martian Manhunter fucking yeah we did <laughs> <laughs> this is black label right here <laughs> yeah, it really is this is dirtier than anything that was in uh, in Batman Damned for sure <laughs> I mean really uh yeah that's probably the most overt sex scene in a in a DC book I've ever seen. Yeah, you couldn't see where all the parts were, but 
You knew what was happening. I love the way that Rosmo draws human John Jones. Mm-hmm. He's he's like um, he's big and broad like a cop, but he doesn't look like your stereotypical police officer. He's just he looks weird, but not so weird that he wouldn't fit in on Earth. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a it's it's a it's a this is a dumb thing to say, but it's like a believable alien disguise. Yeah. It's not uh, Vincent D'Onofrio in Men in Black. <laughs> Damn it, I wanted to make that <laughs> Give me sugar water. Wait a minute, is that is that Vincent D'Onofrio or is that Steve Bannon I'm hearing? I, oh. Oh. Give I mean, me to do that. the deep state. <laughs> um. Yeah, no, well said, Brian. That's a that's a very good point. Um, yeah. Oh, another one of my favorite moments of the issue was when, when he's going around the crime scene and he's talking about how much emotional residue he feels. Mm-hmm. Again, that's just like, that's just a little wrinkle that Orlando puts in there that makes it something that only... It, only Martian Manhunter could be approaching the investigation this way, you know? Um, beautiful stuff. Yeah, I thought that the issue also did a really nice job of introducing new wrinkles to the John Jones character that feel authentic, but also surprising. I think so many times when writers try and deep in a character that they've loved for a long time, it can come off as trying a little bit too hard to make something new happen. But this feels like all of this tracks with who John is as a character, but it's not necessarily stuff we've seen before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and a lot of that is like the Mars stuff, which I feel like I've read a few different Martian Manhunter books that um, try to do things with his time on Mars and they're all like different. There's not like, I feel like that era that like in, in John Jones's history is not as well defined as say something like, I don't know any other characters like origin story, you know? Yeah. There's, there's no like Canon set in stone Martian Manhunter on Mars. Um, and I feel like, Orlando does a really great job with that stuff here, just with like the world building aspect. Absolutely. Um, the stuff with like the social forms and even like the difference between like speaking with words and speaking te- telepathically and and the the fact that he keeps a part of his brain of his mind like walled off from his wife, which is weird and well, you know, we all do. And the and the and just the doing it, just the 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 melding. <laughs> sweet sweet um, melding. One of the things I think that Rosmo is so good at, and it's particularly evident in the Mars sequence, but it really is kind of throughout the whole book, but so you know, he's drawing a shapeshifter and throughout the book while John has a, like, um, while he is consistent in 
each setting that he finds himself in, he's he's never exactly the same panel to panel. You see little changes in his uh, makeup because he's trying to hold himself together all the time. And so he looks like a guy who's constantly on the verge of transition. And that's a really hard thing to get across artistically. And Rosmo just nails it here. There's, he's so fluid in the way he looks. Um, it's really well done. Or not. I don't know. Maybe I'm just a fucking idiot. Who knows? No, I agree with you. <laughs> he's extremely expressive, both like with the human characters and the alien characters. Um, there are so many great like scenes where like the Martian version of the character is just like, raising an eyebrow in such an exaggerated way and it just looks it it just looks great yeah his whole his whole like head changes his shape when he raises his eyebrow right yeah yeah um yeah yeah i feel like this is like the start of a classic yes and uh, not to rip on Tom King too much, we're going to do that in a little while, but I feel like this feels like what Tom King tries to go for a lot of times in terms of the gravitas and the uh, using the sort of the two stories side by side. All of that is stuff that King tries to do all the time, but doesn't pull off as well as this does. I'm with you. Sorry, not sorry. Um, well, this is such a big week. We're going to take a break early because we want to, uh, you know, give proper time for everything. So we we'll take a break right now, and we'll be back in just a minute with a discussion of a not so good. Hello, we're the hosts of the Multiversity Manga Club podcast. I'm Emily. I'm Zach, and I'm Walter. Each month, we pick a manga to read and discuss among ourselves. Past books include Monster, A Silent Voice, and Pokemon Adventures. We also look back on the past month's installments of Weekly Shonen Jump, discussing the highs and lows from the Viz Anthology. We've even discussed notable manga adaptations like Netflix's Death Note. At the end of each episode, we announce next month's book club pick so you can read along with us. We're always open to suggestions for future books as well. So join us on the first Friday of every month on MultiversityComics.com, Apple Podcasts, or your podcatcher of choice. And we are back to talk about Batman number 60. Uh, Zach, tell before we talk about who did this book, tell us what you said in our group text today. I said it was the worst Batman ever. Uh, it's uh, written by Tom King, illustrated by Michael Janin and Jorge Fornes. Um, my simple reason for why it can't be the worst Batman ever is that the Fornes art is really nice. Okay, then you're you're right. Fantastic art. Um, I don't know if I specifically said the worst Batman comic in the text, because if I did, I shouldn't have said that. But this is the worst Batman. The worst Batman. Yes. The worst actual Batman that's ever existed. Worse than Frank Miller in All-Star Batman and Robin. Yep. This is Buttman, 
right here. <laughs> this is just a real big butt man. Wait, this is Ben Affleck from the opening credits of Mallrats? <laughs> yep, he works at Fashionable Mail. Yeah, he doesn't respect anybody without a shopping agenda. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I can keep going. Yeah, yeah. I, I hate. I'm gonna go full comic pedant right here. Okay. Do it. Go off, King. This wouldn't happen for more than like three seconds because like Superman would just fly in and be like, "Stop." <laughs> yeah, what are you doing, Bruce? It's like, stop now. Actually, I'm glad you said that. Zach, because before you start tearing this thing to pieces, um, I just wanted to point out that, like, when when we talk this way about Tom King comics, it's not as if there aren't other comics out there that that create contrivances in the story that could easily be explained by having other heroes come help, or like, um, it's not as if. Uh, he, Characters ever act out of care, never act out of character in other comics, right? It's just that consistently, I find when I read specifically Batman and Heroes in Crisis by Tom King, these these instances are so apparent because so much of what else is going on is so uninteresting that you can't forgive a lot of the stuff that you forgive with other stories, right? It certainly, well, it certainly wouldn't be the first time that Superman, you know, should have come and cleaned things up uh, for a, a reckless Bruce, right? But but because this run has just been so lackluster to us, it just it just stands out as you can you can pick it apart a lot easier because you're not enjoying it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Vince, check the group chat quickly. Um. Yes. Okay. Cool. Thank you. Um. Zach, you haven't heard our last episode yet because you it's just being released as we're recording this now. But um, one of the things I said about Heroes in Crisis last week was that I feel like what I've come to realize is that Tom King has no desire to be a part of a shared universe. Mm-hmm. That he wants to tell his own very unique individual stories within using these pre-existing characters, but he has no interest in them playing by the same rules as all the other people who are writing in that shared universe. And I feel like this issue is the perfect distillation of that. Like you said, if this, or being pedantic, like Bruce would not be allowed to do this without Clark stopping him. Right. I mean, it's, it has been readily established in as recent as Bendis's Superman run that, he is always listening for things and will will show up if he hears and that he can he can pick out uh, Snyder said this in I think it was metal that bat that Superman knows Bruce's heart rate. Yeah. That he can hear his pulse anywhere on earth. Yeah. If there's if there are like you know, three people in the world that he is like always monitoring, it's Lois, John, and Bruce. Yeah. Yeah. So, so. But, but but this just seems like again like King wants to tell this story, but doesn't want to hear how this story doesn't fit in the overall grand scheme of things. Which is fine. Like, I under- totally understand, like, not being beholden to a shared universe if it means telling a good story. But but my point is I would is always that, vote for that. But, right. But yes, I, I, don't, yeah. I don't disagree with that. But if you're going to – if you're going to work – if you're going to be writing fucking Batman, you kind of have to do that. 
you kind of have to be aware of what's going on around you to a certain degree. Otherwise, write a, write a graphic novel or create your own characters and tell whatever story you want to tell that way. But if you're going to be playing with these characters in this universe, it just it drives me crazy that there is nothing that connects this work to anything that's happening around it. And yet, DC treats this like it's the linchpin of their entire line. Yeah. I just uh I how I I just don't get where King is going. Like I don't see how he comes back from this or like what his goal is here other than just like Oh, we made Batman bad. He's a fascist. The The problem is that, you know, Batman in the modern age, more or less, is already that. And so then to, like, make the most extreme version of that I've probably ever seen um, doesn't really sit well, right? <laughs> like, yeah. And I know, I know it's supposed to be a low point. It's supposed to, we're supposed to be disturbed by it, you know? But, but wasn't the whole point of the Mr. Freeze on trial arc to show that Bruce recognized he fucked up? Yeah. I mean, and he's still doing this. Yeah. I mean, I guess he could be making a point about how, like, even when you know you're wrong and even when you take steps to remedy that, you can still fall back in. I mean, like, if that's what he was doing, then I'd be like, wow, good on you for writing, you know, human characters with flaws. And I mean, I guess that's what he says he's doing. I guess that's his goal. It's just not very fun to read. No. And also, just for any aspiring writers out there, discussion of Shakespearean sonnets is not great comic book. Well, especially not when when every freaking issue features um, Shakespearean sonnets, uh, old uh, Irish poems, uh, songs, you know, like Russian folk tales. Yeah, Russian folk tales. Everything is like a everything is a reference to something literary um, in a way that comes off as super pretentious, especially in the book that surrounds it, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I want to like not go too hard into that just because like Sandman was very much that. But look at the book Sandman was. I know. I know. But I, I just I don't want it to seem like we're being like, un- unfair or no, or, but like, characters there. Characters in Sandman didn't like have a literary theory discussion in the middle of the comic. No, well, no. may well <laughs> they may have, but but that was a very literary. I mean, that was the the point of Sandman to a certain extent. Right. Holy shit! Right. You know what this is? What? You know how in Kill Bill Volume Two, yeah, yeah, Bill, I, yep. 
Bill deconstructs Superman to to the bride. Yeah. This is this is the opposite of that. This is instead of in a movie talking about comics, this is a comic talking about a poem. Yeah. And it's it's Batman deconstructing himself and saying the art's not that great. Yeah. And uh, uh and again, just all these things that we don't like or that we complain about if if the book surrounding it were better or the, or the story surrounding it were a little more interesting, um, then you, f- you forgive some of that stuff. Like, look at, okay, here's a perfect example of, and everybody does this. So, you know, people can say that we're being hypocrites or whatever, uh, if we praise a different book for, for similar things, but, but everybody who reads comics, consumes media, does this very same thing, whether they know it or not. But let to, let's take another Tom King book as an example. What did I say about Mr. Miracle? That was a book that featured some of the same annoying Tom King traits, right? Sometimes annoying dialogue, overly repetitive, um, pretentious at times. Overall, I liked Mr. Miracle a lot. um, And I forgave, and you heard me say it on the show, I forgave a lot of the things that I find annoying with Tom King's writing because I felt like the story surrounding it uh, had real stakes, was interesting enough, you know, believable stakes that like that, that were emotional. And I felt, you know, this Batman feels so cold and insane to me that I can't possibly forgive all the other stuff that I find annoying about it. You know, yeah, that's the difference to me. It's not me just wanting to shit on Tom King. It's, having a completely different experience with the same writer across two different books, you know, or Mm -hmm. three now, if we include the dreadful heroes in crisis. Yeah. Um, I also just wanted to point out my least favorite bit of dialogue on this issue, which was, it's the second to last page, I believe where Batman pulls into the Batcave and he says, Alfred, what's wrong with the lights? I went to, a, went to a little kid would ask that question. Like, are the lights sick, Daddy? Like, oh, it's just a... <laughs> I, you know what? I my least favorite thing. It wasn't a, a line of dialogue, but it was a, an image, and it was Alfred just sliding fish down Penguin's gullet while he's blindfolded. <laughs> I found that to be like, strangely I mean, erotic. I know. I mean, I. I if that's your kink, I don't know. Like, <laughs> how much do you think the Gotham taxpayers pay annually for the smashed bat signal? Yeah. Also, yeah, that whole scene I was also bothered by because, like, here's Alfred. I mean, not Alfred Gordon. Like, what? How I read clearly abusing his power to take this bat, which this man <laughs> is clearly hoping to use to like. He says his children's retirement. Home. Exactly. Yeah, retirement. Yeah. He's like, just like, can you do you have nothing else? <laughs> like a police baton or yeah. something? It's made of a special kind of glass that can only be shattered when it ruins your life. Like, the real what? answer is everybody in this comic is an asshole and Gordon just wanted to ruin the bat out of spite. Yeah. Oh, bat. I hate bats. I need a baseball <laughs> bat. Yeah. Yeah. And and this issue, like, you know, when Batman asks what's wrong with the whitey whites that happens right after Gordon smashes 
a light. Right. And there's like, every transition, like, you know, Penguin it's... shouts no, and then Gordon says no more on the next page. Like, every transition is 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 this, you know, really cute transition. And it just feels so overdone. Oh, it's so over the top. It's like all the characters just screaming, you know, whatever the theme is. It looks like he's looking for something, but all he's seeing is dark. And then the very next is what's wrong with the lights, Albert. You right, know? yeah. Yeah. I yeah. Oh God. I did want to say one thing, Vince. I feel like both of you guys are going to enjoy this, but I feel like Vince, you're going to put this on Twitter tomorrow morning. Oh Christ! So if you go to it's page 16 in our PDF, you see uh, Gordon knocks on the door of that of that uh, person he's going to take the bat from, but the way the door is closed, then the next panel open, and he's already through it. Is like Kramer entering the room. <laughs> Gordon is Kramering into that guy's office. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to think of a something Gordon would say that Kramer would say. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. My friend what Bob if... Sacamano. Yeah. Batman is Bob Sacamano. What if Batman has? Broken bat signal. Yeah. All right. Uh, yeah. Before we move on, we got to talk about the last the last page. Yeah. Too. Yep. Yep. I want to talk about uh, Flashpoint Batman. So, so okay. I'm straining to figure out what's going on with that because because Thomas Wayne was in the button. The button. <laughs> and. Uh, Zach didn't want to join us on that one, but um, that's that's fine, Zach. You do you. Um, okay. Uh, I'm just straining to remember, or maybe it, maybe it intentionally doesn't make any sense, but he was like, again, like he died on the way back to his home planet in that crossover, right? And then he sh- and then he shows up in Arkham with Bane, and I believe that that was supposed to take place after Bubotin. Yes, it was. Okay. And so I just don't, like, do we even think that this is the same Thomas Wayne? Or, like, what are you guys thinking about this? Do you you think this has any link, any legitimate link to Flashpoint and the button at this point? Or is it just repurposing this character to... No, it didn't... I don't think he died on the way back to his home planet. Yeah, I think he got saved. See, yeah, that's what I'm saying. I'm like straining to remember exactly what happened. Uh, I, well, I feel the, like they touched on that in the button. Like, here's here's the one thing I will say about it. I, Vince to, to answer your question about how it connects. If you recall, like the message of of um, of Thomas Wayne in in the book, bu- being Batman. Yes, right. And so, if he feels like Bane is going to get his son to a place where he'll stop being Batman, then I guess there's a logical reason for him to, to power around with Bane. I get that. I was just more... I, I was under the impression that Thomas Wayne um, got sucked into a black hole or something, and I couldn't remember whether that was the case or not. That if that it makes sense that he's here. I don't know if makes sense is the right word, but... <laughs> Yeah, as we know from Heroes in Crisis, none of this makes sense. Right. As Wally tells his kids. 
or Jay and Irie. Um, yeah. I, I on one hand, I like the fact that, and I think we could probably attribute it to Grant Morrison. Is I think since Grant Morrison's Bat Run, there's been this uh, attempt to make all of continuity fit together better. That instead of just ignoring the bonkers shit that happened in the past, we try to find a way to make it all work, right? Mm-hmm. And and that and that's good. But it'd be really nice if we could just let Flashpoint be dead. <laughs> I don't know. I've still got like a like a, a Flashpoint Justice League story br- bouncing around in my head where Dick Grayson is dead man and Sinestro is the White Lantern and or no Abin Sur and like uh, who else we got? We got Captain Thunder. He was great. No, yeah, I got it somewhere. It's in there. <laughs> Well, when DC hires us someday after the, they've hit rock bottom, then I'm sure they'll let you do that. Canterbury Cricket. Yeah, my man. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of good in there. DC hasn't capitalized on that enough. That's their that's their Age of Apocalypse, and they, they've not done anything. Again, one day you'll change that. Single-handedly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, well, let's talk about Doomsday Clock, number eight, written by Jeff Johns, illustrated by Gary Frank. This is what I've wanted all along. Okay, so I don't know if I like this issue, but this is so far the best issue of Doomsday Clock. It's not, it's not even funny how much better than the other issues this is. <laughs> it's kind of funny. I well, so. and, you, and you know why? Because, it's because get... it has it's the ratio of DC to to Watchmen is what we expected. Yes. Yep. And it also has essentially directly from the Richard Donner movies, Clark and Lois. <laughs> yes. Like Jeff Johns definitely took his internship under Richard Donner seriously here, and uh, is is refer- is referencing so much of those characters, both in terms of what they're saying and how they're saying it. Again, it's it's like a continuation of that action run that these two did that was so good and and it's good <laughs> for the most part. Um it's still shade too dark, but yes. if th- I feel like if this comic this particular issue if you took off the Watchmen bookends that we have with Ozymandias, which are by far the worst part of the issue. Yeah. Yes, and you published it as a different series. I I would maybe find it just a little too like, oh, we're trying to like touch on modern politics. Mm-hmm. I mean, Putin is in this issue. <laughs> yeah, Putin is actually in the issue. I would maybe find like have qualms with that, but otherwise, I would be like. Yes, this is in the lineage of things like 52 that I love. I would so. say it's maybe it would maybe be still be a little bit too dark. Like Firestorm does kill a bunch of kids here. He well, he doesn't. Other people Su- do. Superman kind of does. <laughs> well, That's but true, I man. mean, but like I, I mean, like 52 like had a young boy get eaten by an alligator. So <laughs> that is true. Pouring out for Osiris. So. 
Yeah. John's just, I, I feel like John's just it's a lot darker than I really think about in my memory. Like, I know he loves to have people's arms ripped off, but I just always gloss over that. Yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think you're right, Zach. I think everything you say is true. I think if this were not Doomsday Clock, this were some other series, I would probably still find it a little... Um, The, the grandeur of the presentation is still a little bit over the top because they're they're trying to go for that Watchmen feel. And and that includes any even the times when there are no Watchmen characters in the scene. Um, so the, it is a little bit... It's a little bit off-putting on, on, on that front. I also think the, the, the kind of chaotic situation that John's has to create in Russia at the end of this is a little contrived because again, it's almost like we were, we were talking about with, uh, see if you do this too much, you could punch holes in most superhero stories. Right. But like, how, how does Superman not just scoop up all those glass people and move them somewhere else? <laughs> the Fortress of Solitude. Yeah. 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 How many bullets has he blocked without shooting somebody in the head? You know what I mean? Like in, yeah. in his life. So there's all these little contrivances that Johns needs to, to create this conflict. And that's, you know, for the most part, that's fine. But if I'm going to poke holes in the story at all, it, 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 it starts with things like that. Um, I think to get, to get the story to this sort of uh, last straw heroes versus the public type stuff, um, I guess that stuff needs to happen. But... Um, but I definitely enjoyed the way that Firestorm was used. Um, I think, I think there, I be, I thought the the like emotional turmoil that that Ronnie was going through as Firestorm in, in these scenes was legitimate and and it felt real and it felt like disturbing in the right way. Yeah. Um. Yeah. This this was. This was pretty good, all things considered. Yeah, I um, I think John's nailed the tone for Black Adam. Yes, which, that was the best which, scene. Which he's always scene. been very good at. Yes, he has, and it also bodes very well for Shazam as a series. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think Black Adam is just—he's like the most underused slash most important character in the DC universe. When he's used properly, he's such a unique guy. Like, I think he's he's essentially the DC equivalent of like uh Namor and uh T'Challa in just the sense of like these kings of nations that can oftentimes make decisions that the heroes of the overall world don't appreciate because they don't because they benefit their people more than they benefit the world at large. And uh, he's just so well drawn. And I don't mean illustrated. I mean, drawn as a character, mm-hmm. written as a character. Um, I, I, I love Black Adam. So great. Um, so that's really good. I think that the, all the Superman stuff, like even Bruce on the like comms to, to Clark felt, felt, you know, my big thing with, with comics is I, I don't I try not to worry about something feeling plausible. I just try to 
I hope it doesn't feel ridiculous. And I feel like that felt plausible enough for me um, that Bruce would see the hole he's about to dig himself into and he's trying to pull him out of it before it's too late. There was a lot of really quality stuff that happened in this issue, and I am so tired of the stuff we got in the first seven issues compared to this. It does feel like a completely different book, I think. Imagine if this was the first issue. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, this just feels, in every way, it's so far removed from everything else that has happened. Yeah, it does. Aside from aside from the tenuous link to uh, to Vite at the beginning and end, and let me say, like I, I said earlier, that that's the worst part of the issue. Um, I, I I feel like they John should have just had him say, uh, "Huh, I guess I'm a Republic serial villain." Because <laughs> like that's he's literally like twirling a mustache at the end of this, you know. Yeah, it's by far the the most on the nose and like ill fitting of the original comic of the original Watchmen as anything in this issue or series thus far. Like he's cartoonish at this point. We also get in this issue the first, not the first, I guess the the strongest connection to the Justice Society yet. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. speak on you know, that. We've seen a bunch of the characters show up in the past, but here we see Lois sent a newsreel from the Second World War that specifically mentions the Justice Society, and she basically has no idea what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. And it, it was a really short but really effective scene. Yeah, it is. And interestingly, Green Lantern is still in it. Yes, mm-hmm. Any guesses on who sent that? Um, probably uh, uh, Kovacs, original Rorschach. He's still alive. <laughs> um, I don't know. I could see it being um, like the Johnny Thunder crew. Yeah. Um, yeah, I really don't know. I'm trying to think. Yeah, it would be I'm, fitting. I'm ready for the JSA to come back, though. Yeah. Knowing how books I love featuring teams I love go. In the next Tom King event, he'll kill them all off anyway. <laughs> Harley Quinn will somehow hit all of them with a mallet at the same time. Like those, like those balls that clack on your desk, you know what I'm talking about? Like she'll hit one of them and all, just, all their heads will bang together and they'll all die. Yep. The end. All right, let's close things out by talking about the best second issue in the history of DC Comics, the Green Lantern number two. <laughs> I, I half kid. Uh, written by Grant Morrison, illustrated by Liam Sharp. Um, 
Similar to what I said about Martian Manhunter, right now go to multiversitycomics.com for an interview with Liam Sharp about this book. He was super nice. Um, guys, this issue. <laughs> I thought issue one was good, and this and then Volk blows, blows it out and Volk showed up. Yeah, <laughs> uh, which they ruined yeah, this... on the cover, by the way. Yeah. Um, Have you guys seen like a, a pre Liam Shark Volk? Yes. It doesn't compare at all. No. No. So Zach, sorry, you were gonna say? Oh, well, I was gonna say I felt like uh, this opening page was um, Morrison trying to do his best, like um, end of Blade Runner impression, <laughs> <laughs> and it was really, really good. <laughs> Yep. Um, one thing I want to say right off the bat is that a lot has been made about... I feel like the discourse around this book has been, uh, oh, Morrison says this is going to be a police procedural, and then he's got Hal Jordan fighting with God by the third issue. Ha, ha, ha. But Morrison wasn't lying. Like If you, if you look at these first two issues... The first halves of both of them are very much police procedural type stuff. One hundred percent. Like I'm, I'm sitting here wondering interrogation if, like, scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Each, yeah. each issue begins with this sort of uh, unrelated conflict that ends up folding into what Hal Jordan, Hal Jordan's role as part of the Green Lantern Corps, right? And it's very much handled in the... I mean, they, they literally do the good cop, bad cop thing. It, it is exactly what Morrison said it was. So if anyone... You know, I just don't want people to get the wrong impression about this book that all of a sudden... Like, Mor Morrison's going to be insane no matter what he writes, right? Like, everything he's going to do is going to be big and wild. But he's also not wrong that that he's structuring this book in that way, in that police procedural way. And... So not only is this book, like, it, it couldn't be more Morrisonian, but I'm also not sure I've ever read a book like this that's been written by Morrison, right? Like, am I crazy? It's definitely, it's... No, it's definitely a new thing for him. And you know, what okay. el you know what else occurs to me before we keep... There is a lot of happy in this. Grant Morrison's happy. Interesting. I've not read happy. Because that concerns, like, a like a, a hitman there's like a there's like a big crime element to that book right and just there's things about the mood wh where like hal jordan is this humanoid person with sort of a uh sardonic sarcastic personality bumping up against very weird things weird situations in the case of happy it's a uh flying blue donkey creature right um th there's a tone here that's that's pretty similar i feel like i feel like the tone that morrison's going for here is is similar like he honed it with through happy and and the best possible version of that is ending up on the page here mm. um did you guys notice the eye of sauron on oa yeah, yep yes that page Oh my god. 
that, uh, that Liam Sharp's nuts, man. Mm-hmm. I want that page on my wall. Like I want that blown up and thrown on my wall. And yes, hey, what's that? Oh, that's oh the you know Green Lantern planet, and it's it. It would be like the perfect uh, encapsulation of my fandom up on the wall and just beautiful to stare at. Yeah, I well, I even wouldn't mind it with like the word balloons left intact. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yep. Uh, I'm not going to rat out who said this. But more than one Multiversity staffer said they did not love the first issue of Green Lantern because they felt that Morrison and Sharp were not in sync together. And I just don't know what they're talking about. Because I think if you look at this, this is clearly an artist and a writer who are both going for it but are going for it in the exact same way, if that makes sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, like this is a big, big, over-the-top epic story. And if one of them wasn't on board with that, you would know it right away. I don't know. I don't get it. Yeah, no, and I, I mean, even I, I think, like, before when this was announced, I was a little um, worried about how Sharp and, and Morrison would pair. Um, but no, yeah, this is this is wonderful. Uh, it's, yeah, it's absolutely fantastic. The, oh, man, the, the Evil Star stuff, I, first of, oh, all, first of all, Evil Star is the best. How this. great is that characterization of him, like, uh, he's talking to those other aliens about how he spent five years in the Southern Super Void and it was so lonely and now he's here to take revenge. It's such a, like, again, it's like an over-the-top, uh, he's like a, he's like a, he, he would fit right in on the cartoon Legion of Doom, you know? Yep. I can just picture him with, like, a goofy, evil Hanna-Barbera voice saying that it's time to enact ultimate revenge on the Green Lantern Corps, you know? Like, it's so good. And the the Hal uh, Trilla True good cop, bad cop stuff is just tone perfect. And... Yeah, man. And you know what? I can't wait for Hal to fight God in the next issue, so... <laughs> so um as i mentioned i interviewed liam sharp the other day and so to prep for it i had to read this issue early and i texted the boys as soon as i was done and i said this issue has the most grant morrison line of all time in it and vince got it on his first try and (laughs) man i'm just a big dummy i missed it (laughs) this is that hal is calling into oa he says this is lantern 2814.1 to oa I'm calling it Grand Theft Planet. <laughs> like Grand Theft Planet is the most Grant Morrison phrase of all time. <laughs> it's taking something that is ostensibly very simple and very dumb and elevating it into something that is absolutely beautiful. Man, what a great issue. I also I just love how he lands on the moon to observe where the earth should be too, you know. <laughs> yeah. 
it's oh man all the all the every detail in this book every everything is just perfect to me i don't disagree i feel like it's gonna go underappreciated like everything morrison does i guess yeah Oh. He's under he's underappreciated, but he's also like the most respected writer in all comics. Right. He really is, but but even like I feel like even his Batman wasn't as like well received as it should have been. Which is just wild to me. Oh god. <laughs> he's I don't understand it. I don't understand it. It it never ha- I I feel like it never reached the heights of popularity that like the Snyder run did. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, the Snyder run is is way more easily digested, for sure. And that's the thing. Like Morrison is not like the most accessible. I yeah. I just think too many people misunderstand what he's doing. You know, I I remember the discourse surrounding the the Batman run, and everybody was everybody was so deep in on like, uh, uh, ooh, what what role is the Joker going to end up playing in this and. And who's over on Sexton, right? And I remember, for the most part, people were, like, really disappointed with the resolutions to a lot of those. But it's like Walter... It's like a friend of the show, Walter Richardson, said. Like, people are reading for plot and not for... Um, I forget exactly how he put it, but, like, it's... it's he basically like, said that all that matters is plot to people. Right, right. When the greatest thing about Morrison's Batman, and really all of his DC work in general, is, like, the... The meta text and and like that's not it's not that the plot's not good but it's because it is <laughs> because it, because it is but like what what matters is the way that Morrison approaches a superhero plot how he knows superheroes the the inner workings of them and how comics work probably better than any other writer at DC or Marvel. Right. And the way that he turns that into a plot, the way that the, the meta text of Batman becomes the plot itself, you know? Right. Oh. Yeah. He's the yeah. best. No. He's the and, and, and Dr. Hurt dying by slipping on a banana peel. Perfect. Yeah. Best thing. Yeah. Yep. Oh, man. We're we're just gonna spend all night agreeing with one another, aren't we? We are. Tonight is the least hot take we've had in a long time. <laughs> I think we needed that. Yeah, I agree. Man, what a week! <laughs> What's going up next week, guys? Are we are we at that point already? We are. That's it. Yeah. Oh man, I don't want this to be over. Don't worry. Tomorrow we have a lot more of this. <laughs> we haven't. We got to do our good. We got. We didn't do our good list. Oh, that's true. Let me let me do that quickly. Yeah. So, um, for this week, the uh, the good list of books we did not talk about involves. Let me just scroll up here. Do, do, do. Adventures of the Super Sons, Border Town, um, Deathstroke. The Dreaming and Justice League. Okay list is Green Arrow, Harley Quinn, Red Hood Outlaw, and The Unexpected. The Bad is The Curse of Brimstone, Nightwing, and The Suicide Squad Black Files. And we didn't read U.S. versus Murder, Inc. 
Sorry, Bendis. We'll try better next time. Will we? Not not with that Maybe. book. I won't. I will say that I'm I'm I, I Deathstroke was maybe my favorite issue of the series so far. Wow. Really? I See, think I'm, so. I'm behind on some of my readings, so I'll read that tomorrow yeah. for sure. I, I adore that issue. Um, Dang. Speak on it a little, Zach. Do we have time? Yeah, of course. Go for it. Well, I just I just feel like this... Oh, it, it just did everything that I... I, I just I just loved it all. Like, it's it's not anything different than the book's been doing. It's... it's um, you know, still just doing all these weird plot lines with all these characters. It's still working with the same group of characters, except Two Face is now thrown in the mix. But otherwise, it's the same thing. But it's just the way that Priest makes these characters interact in the weirdest and most interesting ways, and makes them say and do the wildest things, and it, and it all still fits. Um, he he like Morrison just is operating on a completely different level, I think in terms of comic booking. So mm-hmm. yeah. And, and, and I'm still continually amazed every time there's an editor's note. That's like, see issue two, see <laughs> <Yep>. issues 17 <laughs> through 21. <laughs> like they pop up so much. Um, I've never seen that in a comic like this before. Well said. Uh, um, also the, all the space stuff. I'm, I'm so in on the space stuff. Yes. Yeah. If it's even if it's real or not real, I'm just I'm in on it. I love how they keep referencing it. We've seen like basically none of it. Yeah. Oh, it's yeah. so good. So good. So yeah, Brian, I will be very interested to hear your thoughts when you when you catch up on it. Cool. Um You know what? I'm very interested to read next week. What's that? What's that? The motherfucking Batman who laughs. Oh. <laughs> yes. Yes, Zach. Zach, I believe Zach said he's not reading that one. No, I didn't say that. I'm gonna read it. <laughs> he said, he said, there's no chance I'm reading that. You guys, I didn't say that. I think you did say that actually. No, I didn't say that. I definitely <laughs> didn't say that. I said I wasn't gonna read that other awful Batman book. Oh, the the Mark the bat the uh, the Bat-Pans? Mark Silvestri one. That one. That's oh, the that's one. the one. Yes. Okay. I'm sorry. Zach, the one I, where I famously put my foot down and Brian <laughs> kicked me off the show. <laughs> I'm going to apologize to you right now, Zach. You, it was definitely the Lee Bermejo one that's never coming out that you're not going to read. I, I'm not. No, not the Lee Bermejo one. The Mark Silvestri Mark one. Silvestri. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, 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 I was just talking Batman about Bat Penis. I know. I know. We get that one next week. We buddy. do. Yes, we do. I heard there's full on oh. erect boning in this. Oh, I didn't think I completely forgot about that book. I thought we would never see it again. Um, well, we also have a, a non-Tom King penned Batman annual. Tom Taylor, who Brian and I had some very flowery things to say about last yeah. week. With Otto Schmidt oh. art, I believe. Yeah, what, was that the... Um, which Supergirl one did he story. do? Supergirl, yeah, that was pretty good. Yeah, We get the first issue of the new... Um, Virgo series goddess mode oh goddess mode oh yeah. yeah i'm pumped for that electric warriors number two yes doug monkey and peter tomasi detective comics yep start oh. starting starting a, a run there yeah nice. I, I don't know if you guys saw but tomasi said he's not only is he definitely doing uh arcs beyond issue 1000 but he's planning on having a long run so. um the Hawkman on krypton issue yes been waiting for that one uh, Supergirl, Superman, 
Titans featuring my boy Kyle Rayner. Is he on with this next issue? Well, he was. Did you read the last issue of Titans? No, I didn't. He shows up in the last page. Oh, okay, okay. Man. New talent showcase. Yeah, I was going to save that shit burger for last. You're going yeah. to have to read 80 pages of that. Um, and why, why, why are you all skipping Sasquatch Detective, number one? That's a preview of next week's show. Me skipping Scott, Sasquatch Detective. <laughs> uh, that's a yeah. I, I'm going to read it. I promise. It's my solemn vow, readers, that I will read Sasquatch Detective. You. Well, this was fun, guys. This was mm-hmm. fun. I wish every thing. week could be as good as this week, comics wise. I wish every I wish every night could be a three and a half hour long show like we're gonna have tomorrow. Yeah, so we're recording something tomorrow. Uh, we, we've teased it for a long time. I'm not gonna save it. It actually is in case it doesn't happen. Uh, but release the cut. If anybody wants to. <laughs> On a bomb threat to my house tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Uncle Leo. <laughs> uh, Please don't do that. Yeah. That's terrifying. Yeah. Terrorism so, is awful. You better tell so, your wife uh, that it's all a big goof. Your when wife. Somebody, when somebody calls and she picks up and <laughs> and and calls a bomb threat. <laughs> Honey, I brought uh, this on us. <laughs> um, so if I'm not mistaken, I gotta do a little. Hang on, talk amongst yourselves for one second. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Brian Needs a Nap. I'm at Walker Fox. I'm nowhere. Don't find me. Vince is on. Vince was on Tumblr, but his entire account got taken down <laughs> because it was just. Uh, Shirtless there, pics of himself. There go my nipples. Again, oh no, Mary. but it's got to be—it's got to be female presenting nipples, yeah. not male. Yeah. Well, I had full dong, so. Okay. Well, there you go. <laughs> so, so, so here's a nice little, a nice little bit of synergy here, boyos. Um, so we have this issue that we recorded tonight is issue 100, episode number 148. The episode we are recording, um, for next time will be 149. And that will be for the comics released on the uh, the twelfth. Mm-hmm. Episode one fifty will be after that, and then we're taking a break after one fifty because DC has an off week. But that's when our special bonus episode will be here. Okay, how about so, that? Yeah, so a couple more issues than the episodes, rather than the bonus episode we're recording tomorrow, and then January comes and we are back to our regular groove. But that's not today. That's next time. And so until then, read your comics, kids. We'll talk to you soon. Fucking thing is three and a half hours long. God, you've said, you've <laughs> yeah, said fuck a few times tonight. You, you have become the potty boy. He buys a home and all of a sudden he's Mr. Fuck out here. <laughs>